Welcome to the podcast of top executive coach, Tony Mayo. This podcast is a conversation with one of Tony's clients, management consultant, Ron Diamond. You got me interested in Mary Lore's book and right. her system of thinking, managing thought. Managing thought, that's the book. And that's also what she talks about as being in the inquiry and being in the being inquisitive and being concerned for the answer, like really listening for that answer. And it's just like a great default if you're stuck or you're not sure what's next, you don't know what to do, you just ask. Right. Yeah. Make it up. I'm with yeah. the other person. Yeah. So I don't know what we should do next. I said, Well, let's review the bidding, let's figure out where we are. Yeah. It's it's a very bonding thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the I'm okay, you're okay model as well from transactional analysis, very popular in the 70s and 80s, a very useful school of uh, therapy that went into the popular culture. And the idea is if I'm being very put together on top of things and masterful, it kind of makes other people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Back from the parent-child relationship that we all grew up with. Mm. For instance, what's the first word a human being understands? It's not the first one they say. The first word. Probably no. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's important to teach the child no. It's for their own good. Yeah. But think of this this is a process every human goes through. Yeah. The first communication they understand is no. Yeah. Stop. Some form of that. So, what's going on in this child's eye? Well, there's the parent, the most important person in the universe. Yeah. Literally, life or death, the relationship with this person. Yeah. And what this person is telling me is, there's something wrong, and it's me. Wow. So that is very deeply ingrained, and it comes up in all kinds of coaching, where people are still making their decisions and interpreting things out of, there's something wrong, and it's me. That's a big topic. We'll put that aside. But in this context, the person who knows what's wrong with me and is telling me what's wrong with me, is the best person in the world. Mm. So it's very easy to get into a dynamic later in life where the person who is all put together and on top of things gets to be the parent. And I start to react like the child, the one who is immature, learning, making mistakes, looking for guidance. This dynamic gets set up where people who are very well put together make other people feel less than and inadequate. But there's a pretty easy way to shift the balance. You find out what's wrong with that other person. If I can start, if I can get a criticism in there, if I can undermine their put togetherness, I can start to feel better. So you get this little seesaw thing going on, where by me proving this, what's wrong with you, I can feel a little bit better about myself. Wow. And you defend yourself by picking at me, so you can feel a little bit better about yourself. Wow. You know the classic in sales situation: salesperson pulls into the lot with their wonderful company car, walks in with a beautiful suit and. Uh, well put together, speaks very clearly and authoritatively to the receptionist. The receptionist says, do you have an appointment? Uh, so the receptionist gets to exert a little bit of power to be yeah. a little bit more okay. Yeah. yeah. And you can play with this. And this is another one of those great sandal or sales techniques that it's, it's hard to keep a straight face when you try it out. Which is if you admit some weakness or confusion or uncertainty on your part, people start to take care of you. Mm. They get into the parent mode because another part of the parent mode is taking care of the person. Mm. So as I was expressing my concerns and doubts to the investor, he's saying, oh, no, no, that's not a problem. Mm. I can handle it. And he loves us. He's the parent. He's the big person. <laughs> that's a, that is a bit manipulative. What you want to get back to 
is the adult to adult. Nobody's playing the parent. Nobody's playing the child. That's where the I'm okay, you're okay comes mm-hmm. from. Instead of I'm okay, you're not okay, it's we're both okay. Let's communicate in an adult way. Yeah. We can have emotions. We can have opinions and still get along just fine. Mm. So I have this, uh, this demo I'm doing this afternoon with a really large corporation. Congratulations. Fortune 10. Worked with this predecessor, sold them our services. They were very happy. Predecessor went away. New person came in. So I'm just about to re- engage with this new person. Did a few emails saying, you know, I'm the person that did this. Your predecessor did that. We should probably talk. He said, yep, yeah, let's talk. Excellent. Yeah. So at, uh, so this afternoon, I'm going to show him what it was that we did for the predecessor. And before I start into the dog and pony, I get an opportunity to ask, are these your concerns? Is this what you're up to? Or just open-ended. What are you up to? You know, tell, tell me about your um, objectives for, the, for your partner channel and whatever it is that we're helping them with. Uh, and then just take it from there. So, so my, my habit is to over-prepare. Walk through the demo several times, get all the right files ready. Have be all super the okay. Be, yeah, it'd be really super okay. Uh, to, and also to look good, you know, like, like I've got it all together. I know all the answers and, and here are all the results and here's all the data. And instead of just showing up and, you know, my, uh, uh, so I have two habits with show up and throw up and the other is spilling my candy in the lobby. I show up and throw up. Yeah. <laughs> you jam so much in there. You want to get it out. I do. Yes. Well, I want to look smart, right? Yeah, I right. Do. And I think that that's how I prove value. And the other is to spill my candies, to really give away stuff that they ought to be paying for. Right. Uh, which I'm notorious for. And, and I still convince myself that that's part of my value and part of relationship building and part of, look, look how great this stuff is. Mm-hmm. You probably want some more. The thing is, then they're valuing the data and they're not valuing Ron. Yeah. So that can never be completely satisfying, no matter how much data or insight or research you give them, mm. they're still not appreciating you. You're just delivering candy. The delivery mechanism. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what occurs to me in this conversation is the way to be in that call this afternoon is just to be enthusiastic about the program mm-hmm. and ask questions. I mean, I, I really don't have an ag- agenda beyond that. Great. I mean, if I'm committed to the outcome, if I'm trying to sell him and I want this revenue right. and I want this fee... I'm gonna. I'm not gonna pay attention probably to what he's saying. What yeah. he really wants, or what's possible. Yeah, people can see the dollar signs in your eyes, <laughs> yeah. and they don't want to be manipulated yeah. towards a particular outcome. Yeah. They want to have a relationship which is alive and dynamic, and yeah, something's actually being created in the moment. Yeah, instead of being put on rails towards a particular outcome. Yeah. So you have all that great information, and that can give you some confidence, and it's available when it's appropriate. But put the focus on on them. Yeah. That's everybody's favorite topic. Yeah. Being genuinely curious, that seems to be the most wonderful relationship strategy. Mm. Just being really curious. Oh, and why do you think that? Oh, where'd this come from? Oh, okay. These people are fascinating when you're fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. But the, the, the preparation can definitely get in the way. It's useful. You can't just show up there and be a gladiator. Some people do, but I think there's mm-hmm. a limit to that. There's got to be a systems engineer at some point that comes in. Mm-hmm. I have a client that uh, does does the opposite. They, their sales reps are also responsible for systems engineering. Their ramp time to get a sales rep up to full quota, three years. There's so much that they have to learn. Oh. It's, and it's, it's shocked me. And the, even the, sale, the, the new sales VP says, my salespeople can't be salespeople. 
they have to be something else. And so how can you earn your commission if it takes you three years to ramp up? And how can you sell, you know, be in the process of selling if you're project managing or designing or being a systems engineer as well? So they've just got that, that you know, that light bulb went off and they're going to divide that, that role oh, and have good. a systems engineer or company. So I'm delighted for them, yeah. They've rediscovered that. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of that, reinventing the wheel and rediscovering stuff. And there's all these best practices and lessons learned out there. People, until it's like my children, until they experience it, they don't really learn it. Until they go through it themselves, you can't tell them this is the way that it's going to be. They have to go through it. Right, right. And it's also just a process of change and thinking things through seems to be part of the value. Mm. Uh, Remember when I taught business school, we'd go over various ways of organizing, like centralizing versus decentralizing. Mm -hmm. They say, well, which is the answer? Yeah. Because most of the way through school, like there's an answer. Yeah. They just change. In fact, Bill McGowan, before he started MCI, was a turnaround guy. And he said, turnarounds are the easiest job in the world. Whatever they're doing, change it. <laughs> if, you know, if, if, if they have a uh, manufacturer's rep, bring sales inside. If they have yeah. sales inside, go outside. Yeah. You know, if they're using distributors, do your own distribution. If it's centralized, decentralize it. It took me years to discover that because it's true in, in, in systems, you know, from mainframes mm-hmm. to distributed networks back down to centralized cloud computing. That cycle's going on. Right. In the company I used to work for, a large consulting firm. They had a national office. They disbanded it and put the power back into the regions. They recreated a national office to, to consolidate functions. And, and, and it's interesting because in itself, recognizing that pattern is the pattern. So you have to re, everyone has to relearn that, 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 that there's a pattern. Yeah, and the, pa- the pattern isn't the point. It's the process mm-hmm. of thinking things through and changing, having people change their responsibilities and mm-hmm. try to put it back together in a, in, a, in a good way. So like Andy Grove of Intel noticed that on his shelf, he had all these big three ring binders from the annual strategy planning session. They put a lot of time into it and they wordsmithed every bit of it mm-hmm. and researched it and made big decisions. And then he never took the binder off the shelf. And finally, he realized it was the process of writing the binder that mattered. It wasn't the contents of it. It was yeah. going through it. Yeah. I heard a great one today from Jill Bolte-Taylor. She's that Harvard neurologist who's famous for having a stroke, a stroke. A stroke yeah. of her own. Yeah, she, great presentation on TED. Yeah, my, my yeah. stroke of insight. It's a lot of things about that make me skeptical. For instance, she has very detailed reports of her years without language. How do you do that? I think a lot of this is... Uh, creative (laughs) one thing she pointed out which is consistent with other things i've read is when we have an emotional response often that tangibly consists of our amygdala our our hypothalamus that area secreting various peptides brain chemicals and they get absorbed by other nerves and organs respond muscles tense up or relax breathing rate changes so on different parts of the brain get activated and then these chemicals subside it only takes a minute or two for these chemicals to squirt out, do the work and get reabsorbed. So if you get some outside stimulus, like you see the famous proverbial saber-toothed tiger, or you find out you're not getting the promotion, or the person you care about enters the room with a big smile on their face, that has a chemical and electrical reaction that runs its course in a minute or two. Mm. But emotions don't seem to be that quick, do they? Mm -hmm. They can come on fast. What keeps them going is our thoughts about this, reworking the things, Mm. ruminating, being concerned, revisiting, that keeps triggering these same brain chemicals to spread them out. And just riding the wave, going through the process, isn't that difficult, but we often resist it. You know, the way out is through, but often we stay there and try to fix it and work on it. Mm. It's interesting what occurred for me then is this whole paradigm of something happens and then you make up a story about what happened, so you experience that experience. 
then you make up the story about it to hold on to it or to recognize the pattern or for for whatever reason you make up that's just what we do mm-hmm. uh, and so what you're saying is maybe that we're doing that to to try to elongate the experience or recreate the experience especially for positive yeah. ones and to get better at it and mm-hmm. that, that's one of the great advantages of having our cortex that the cortex is from the same root as corset it's the part of the brain that wraps around the whole rest of our brain Mm. it's this thin layer of gray matter that you know humans are famous for their large amount of gray matter primates have a bit less some animals don't have any they're just you know some simple lizards and things they just react and every moment's a new moment for them a big part of what the cortex does is try to predict things and that's important for instance if i were to throw a ball at you right now you could just lift your hand up and catch it but that's requires a lot of intertemporal processing to get your hand in the right spot because it it takes time for your eyes to see that it's a ball and anticipate where it's going to go and to get the message from your brain out to your hand so the most muscles can be in the right place you have to be thinking ahead where is that ball going to be what the cortex does is live in the future this by the way explains some optical illusions for instance if you have two lines that seem to be converging towards each other and then you put lines across them the line on the wider end of the converging pair seems shorter than the line on the shorter end. Mm-hmm. If we're walking down a road, for instance, things that are at the part of the road that appears narrower to us are larger than the things that are closer to us. Mm. So we just make this adjustment automatically, this sort of anticipation. This is wonderful experiment, classic experiment, where they were monitoring the dopamine which is often considered a pleasure peptide. It's when you, something good happens, you get a squirt of dopamine, you feel good about something, you solve a problem, you accomplish a task, smoke crack, you know, all these things <laughs> release a lot of dopamine, uh, which is part of the problem. They were monitoring in real time the dopamine levels in these, I believe it was macaque monkeys. Macaque monkeys love orange juice, just love it. They would give the monkey some orange juice, he drink it, blast the dopamine. Great. Next day, so every day the experimenter would walk in and give the macaques some orange juice. Sure enough, when they drink the orange juice, blast the dopamine. Makes perfect sense. It's a pleasurable experience. It's having that, and the pleasurable experience exists in the brain as the dopamine. But then they noticed the shot of dopamine came just before he handed the container to the monkey. Uh The monkey is starting to anticipate it's going to get the fun. Uh And then the blast would happen when he opens the cage. It would happen when he opens the door to the room. It would happen when they hear the footsteps for him to go to the door, to walk in the room, to open the cage. Wow. And so these monkeys, like we do, have this cortex, which is figuring out patterns. Good things usually happen after this happens, so I'm starting to get happy now. And you know, the pleasure of anticipation is, can be very powerful, just as the pain of anticipation. Worrying about going to the dentist yeah. is painful much longer yeah. than the actual experience of being at, at the dentist. Yeah. And there's one way to counteract this is with, with meditation, is to train yourself to bring yourself back to that present moment. Experience what's going on right now. So you're not always using your cortex to relive the past or worry about the future. And you can choose. It's a, it's a wonderful thing big part of what makes us human is this cortex that plays these into temporal anticipation games. But often sometimes it gets the better of us. It, it sends us in the wrong direction. Monkey brains. Amazing. Human brains. I used to go to a, a yoga ashram, and they'd put us in various experiences, yoga poses, breathing exercises, journaling. That would often bring up difficult memories or concerns about the future. And they would talk about riding the wave so there's this wave of emotion that comes whatever brain chemicals or electrical signals are going on 
And by resisting it, saying we don't want to have that experience, I'm not ready for that, I can't handle this feeling, this thought, it prolongs it or it diverts it into our muscles, into our other organs. Especially stress chemicals can be very damaging if they're not allowed to express themselves through running away or fighting. Mm -hmm. Uh, They start to break down bone and muscle. And they would talk about riding the wave. The emotion is coming on. You ride the wave by putting your attention on it by experiencing it, by feeling it, and then it goes. Mm. I've got a blog post on this. It's about depression and the value of having someone help you ride the wave by asking you questions that bring you to your current experience. Yeah. What are you feeling now? What's your, yeah. what's your present thought? Particularly the feelings. Our thoughts can run away with us, but if we're just describing the sensation is in our tense neck muscles or whether our mouth is getting dry, whether our heart's beating faster, continually noting what's going on now is a way to have the experience, but then complete it and be ready for the next wave or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I've had that experience with headaches. So oh, yeah. paying attention to them and actually you know, telling the story about them and uh, uh, what color are they, where do they live, how much water could they hold, going through that process over and over again and just focusing and paying attention on it will make it go away for me most of the time. Yeah. Uh, another metaphor I hear people use around that experience is if someone's knocking at the door, the way to make it stop knocking isn't to ignore it or wish they weren't knocking. Answer the door. <laughs> then it'll stop knocking. Go to the door, see what's there. The knocking stops. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a headache, a memory that's unwelcome, a fear about the future. Mm. So I heard recently, I, I meant to look this up, that the root of the word worrying means to grab by the throat and squeeze. <laughs> I'm gonna worry this thing. That's how we, I think we treat a lot of our concerns. Is we just try to yeah. grab by the throat and squeeze them, but they struggle and kick and scratch. I heard that worrying was like praying for a negative outcome. Yeah, right. Praying for what you don't want. Yeah, because it uses that power of focus and energy. And our brains are pretty good at directing us towards the things we're focusing on. Yeah, that's why I'm so adamant. Always repeating to people about not giving. Yeah, I'm going to do it now. Don't give negative instructions. How many negatives are in that sentence? <laughs> but give positive instructions. Yeah. Tell your employees, your children, your coworkers what you want, how you would like it to go. Imagine the situation where you're having a party at your house. Guests are there. It's very busy. And your nine-year-old has decided to help by picking up the big punch bowl in the kitchen and carrying it out to the dining room. Mm-hmm. Of course, what you really want to scream out is... Stop. <laughs> don't drop it. <laughs> when you say don't drop it, all that child's mind is focused on is this thing smashing on the floor. Yeah. It's very hard not to think of something. I think we talked earlier podcast podcasting. Don't think about a pink Volkswagen Beetle yeah. right now. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't that. Yeah. So say something useful like hang on tight. Ah. Wait till I get there. Oh, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Powerful words. Those are great words. Yeah. Telling people what you want that fills your mind with what's possible, what's desired, and the muscles start to align with that. Mm. Oh, okay. I can hold steady. I can walk slowly. I can be careful. How is that different than an affirmation, which we talked about also before? Just Affirmations tend to be present tense lies. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am slim and dynamic. Yeah. I have all the money I want. You yeah. know? But they're lies. Yeah. Part of you knows this. I, it, it, I, I just don't know how to articulate what a bad idea I think that is. Yeah. You know, the truth is very useful. Yeah. 
that you can project into the future and describe a future in the present tense. That I find very powerful. So what's yeah. the difference? Yeah, you know, it's in the future these things are possible, mm. but it's not true now. So many affirmations are this is true now. Mm. Now in an imagined future, I am a certain way, I have a certain thing, I'm being however that can be that's possible. But it's not possible to not be the way you are. And a lot of avoiding of how we are is the root of much evil. There also has to be when it, when it, what occurs to me is when you talk about the thing in the future, the possible the way possible way of being. There has to be some action in the present and near future to get toward that for it to be really useful or more authentic. Mm -hmm. You have to do something about it, or, or just usually it doesn't necessarily. But adjusting count. your attitude, your way of being, not only makes it easier to take the actions, but it seems to invite other actions, mm -hmm. invite other people to take action, makes you more aware of what's going on. Like the study that Richard Wiseman has done of luck. He's a psychologist in England, does some fantastic work on lucky people. He would send out ads and surveys saying, if you consider yourself lucky or unlucky, I want to talk with you. And he tells a funny story of one woman who was off the scales unlucky. Uh, they invited her to the lab and they saw her park and they said, she, I don't know if she's unlucky, but the people in the parking lot are unlucky. <laughs> but he did some wonderful things about, for example, he would give people a broadsheet newspaper and say, I want you to go through and count the number of photographs in this newspaper. We'll give you 100 pounds if you get the right number. Four or five pages in, there is a half page of this broadsheet newspaper that has nothing on it except a headline that says, stop counting. There are 47 pictures. Collect your 100 pounds. Now, naturally, most people don't see this because you're sort of tuned. You've set your mental filter up to see photographs. Right, right. But a certain percentage of people do see this and finish very early with the exact correct answer. The people who say in the survey form that they are lucky saw this three times as often as people who were unlucky. Oh, wow. So something about setting your, your mental filters, what you expect from life, things happen. Wow. And it's also not just what you see. It's how you, as you said earlier, you talked about the story we all are constantly telling about ourselves, the movie that we're in. Lucky people tell stories about what actually happened a different way. He asked a group of these people to consider a scenario. You go into the bank to make a deposit. While you're there, some robbers show up. There's gunfire. You were shot through the arm. Is this lucky or unlucky? And I actually tried this with a client of mine who's always saying how lucky he is. He says, this is lucky. Yeah. I said, how is this lucky? You wanted to make a deposit and you got shot in the arm. I don't have to tell you which category I see myself in. <laughs> he says, yeah, but it could have been so much worse. Yeah. Could have gotten me in the chest. It's close to my chest. Could have hit someone who's ill. I mean, I'll, I'll be fine. Like, man, so the people who are lucky reinterpret the data, the real facts, as evidence that they're lucky. And that reinforces their ability to see things that are advantageous to them. Right. It also makes them more adventurous. He said one of the characteristics of lucky people is they put themselves into unfamiliar situations and they interact with people they, that they have to sort of go out of their way to interact with. So more lucky things happen. Hmm. Well, more different things happen and they interpret it as lucky. And they keep piling it on that way. And so being lucky is being in the present moment. He recommends meditating, interpreting what happens saying that this is evidence that I'm lucky, also noticing things and taking advantage of them when they come along. Hmm. So I'm trying to train myself to be lucky. So far, I haven't had much luck with it. <laughs> 
I told my wife I was trying to get lucky and she didn't appreciate my exercise. <laughs> she said, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a soccer game. Where we were on the sidelines with all the parents. One of them said, maybe you'll get lucky. And I said, hey, with me, it's not luck, it's skill. And she yelled back, no, it's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's not a supportive affirmation. <laughs> So you've been meditating? Uh, briefly, just a couple of times since our last uh, conversation. Uh, right before a call yesterday, my biz dev call uh, with a couple of partners, uh, and that was really satisfying. Just to, and it was 30 seconds, really just to yeah. kind of clear and stretch and take a few breaths and notice what's going on. Yeah, once you have a practice of it, do it fairly often it's, it's a place you can access very quickly mm. just sort of in an instant saying okay noticing my feet taking a breath mm. okay I'm actually here now mm-hmm. there's a sign in a casino that I sometimes I put a replica up over my desk I like putting up posters and things to remind myself the sign just says you must be present to win <laughs> <laughs> that's true We hope you enjoyed this podcast. More information is available at TonyMayo.com. We appreciate your comments, suggestions for future topics, and most of all, stories of how you applied the coaching. Our email address is podcast at mayogenuine.com. This podcast is the property of top executive coach, Tony Mayo, copyright 2011.